Breaking down Wisconsin basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome in to The Swing here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's Jesse Temple. Badgers go 2-1 and one since our last show. They beat Maryland at home. They go and lose at Michigan State, and then they come back home and beat Nebraska 82-68 on Tuesday night at the Kohl Center, and in doing so, broke the school record for three-pointers. They had 18 three-pointers on the night against the Huskers that uh, topped the previous record was 17. The Big Ten record for them was 14, so they did a lot of damage against uh, Nebraska from outside. <laughs> I feel like that type of game is somewhere people are going to be like, well, why can't you do that every night? Why can't you hit threes every night? Because Wisconsin has struggled at times to shoot the ball from the outside. They're still, what, I think hitting like 34% for the year. So they've had some struggles, but last night is the reason why I think a lot of people say this can be a good shooting team. And I think that's when people ask about what the ceiling is for this team. That is the ceiling. 18, 18 three-pointers is probably the ceiling. <laughs> but that's a school record, so it's not something you're going to continue to see. I also think Nebraska's defense contribute to this a little. Um, I mean, it helps that Wisconsin made shots. They've had plenty of open looks all season that haven't gone in, but it did seem to be contagious. Everybody was hitting. The only guy in the regular rotation who didn't make a three was Kobe King. He went 0 for 2, but everybody else made one. Even Tyler Wall buried a three from the left corner. So this is the very best of what Wisconsin is. Now, will that carry over against tougher opponents? Will it carry over away from the Kohl's Center? Uh, that's a bigger question, but I, I think it was certainly encouraging. And the fact that the Badgers went 2-1 and one out of this week was probably as good as we thought was going to happen. On, on our last show, we said we felt like they would beat Maryland, snuck that one out, would not beat <laughs> Michigan up, State, yeah. uh, which, as we saw, was understandable. Michigan State's a very good team when they decide to play. I don't know what happened against Purdue, but Wisconsin right now is looking pretty good uh, in terms of positioning itself for an NCAA tournament berth and has to continue to play it the way it did against Nebraska. Let's talk about that Maryland game quick because that is a game that you, there's no way they should have won that. Oh, no, they absolutely stole it. I look at it like it's the basketball gods giving and taking away because they blew that Illinois game. They should have won that one. They should not have beaten Maryland based on the way that played out, and yet the Badgers won it. So it evens out over the course of a season. It, it, the The final two plays in that game were like, I think what could go down is like, that's just Brad, put that on Brad Davison's career tombstone, like right at the end of it. Maybe the last three plays. The, the inability to get a shot off late in the shot clock, that's kind of a Wisconsin thing at times, but then his ability to knock the ball loose, first of all, and then somehow have the mind to knock it off the guy who's standing, still standing out of bounds was just a remarkable play. And then for them to go to him, considering his struggles from the three-point line at times this year, and then he just drills a, you know, a fall-away jumper for a three, that was that's him, essentially, I think. The good and the bad. It was really a beautifully executed play, too, because they set up this double screen where he came off, was it Pritzel and Reavers? Is that yeah. who it was? Down into the right corner. Right. And he absolutely buried it, and they had to have it. And that, that's the type of game that can really change. I don't know if I'm going to say the change the direction of the season, but it makes a substantial difference when it's you're huge. looking at the Big Ten standings yeah. and all these teams are stacking up within one or two games of each other. It, it, it was huge. It was huge, and it was pretty telling after the game. Mark Turgeon came in and was like... That's a devastating loss because they had it. They had that game on. And he, and he kind of then couched it saying, you know, all losses are, are tough. But the way that they lost that one, they should not have. And for Wisconsin to grab it, it was obviously the complete opposite feeling afterwards, whereas a, a great win or a devastating loss and it probably could have been the other way around. You look at the Big Ten standings as we're talking, and it is just a complete 
muddled mess of teams in there that are all going to be NCAA tournament teams. Maryland right now is 5-3 and three in the Big Ten. That's the same record that Wisconsin has. So when we get down to Big Ten tournament seedings, maybe Wisconsin winds up being a top-four team on the strength of a win like that where you get an extra day, you get to double buy in the Big Ten tournament. It's really interesting because the way things have played out to this point, we thought, wow, what a bad loss against Rutgers. Ah, how could they lose against Illinois? Top three teams in the Big Ten right now, Michigan State, Illinois, Rutgers with a half-game lead over Maryland and Wisconsin, and those are the only three teams that Wisconsin has lost to at this point in the Big Ten, so not bad. It is not bad. Wisconsin has a killer schedule coming up away game-wise in terms of having to go on the road. They go to Purdue, and then they go to Iowa these next two games, and um, then it's Michigan State at home, and then it's another road game, so they, we'll get into what we kind of think will happen here the, the next couple of weeks, but just looking at the Nebraska game and, and what we saw from uh, a variety of guys, but really Brad Davison to start it out in the second half. It's 39-38. Wisconsin did not close the half very well, and then he comes out and scores 11 of the first 17 points, and they uh, they take a huge lead. And then Nebraska has another answer, and Wisconsin is able to they get it down to five, I think it was, and then Wisconsin's able to push it back out to what ended up being a 14-point win. I, I thought at times that they were strong mentally in that game. They could have let it go just completely. Both sides, I thought, were pretty strong mentally. Nebraska not giving up and fighting back in, but Wisconsin, when Nebraska got close in the second half, never let them get so close, never let it got down to a one-possession game, which, you know, against Illinois, they couldn't close it out. I was honestly surprised that it was as close as it was at halftime oh, yeah. because Nebraska really had no business being in that game. They're undersized. Where their advantage was is they had speedy guards and they were able to get into the lane. You look at the numbers, they had 36 points in the paint. How is that even possible for a team that plays with that many guards? But they were able to break down Wisconsin defensively, but you're right. The Badgers were able to hold their own and they made shots and Brad was a huge spark. And also I think it's worth mentioning what Demetri Trice was able to do. I'm sure you're going to bring him up too, but you know, Wisconsin basketball um, had this factoid that he's the first guard that Wisconsin has had to post 10 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists in a game since that famous Josh Gosser triple-double against Northwestern in 2011. So that's a pretty special performance for him to contribute the way he did, not only making a few threes, but distributing and getting rebounds, especially for his size. So they have five guys that have gotten a double-digit number of rebounds in a game this this year. Three of them have come from their guards. (laughs) You know what I mean? Brad Davison had, what, 13 that night? Um, what we saw from Brevin Pritzel when he had his double-double, and then obviously with uh, Dimitri last night, or on t- uh, Tuesday night. D- you're right, Trice is the most surprising of them, but the fact that you have more uh, double-digit rebound games from your guards than you do from your front court probably says a lot. I mean, Micah Potter and Nate Reavers both have been in the double digits, but nothing from Malene Ford, nothing from Tyler Wall in that respect. So, yeah, I, very, very good from Dimitri. Let's talk about uh, Micah Potter. Was great offensively again. Uh, eight points, four rebounds there in the first half, but continues to be a liability on the defensive end. And there was at one point in the second half, he can't, he checked in, I think, with like 13 minutes left for the first time. In the first time in the second half, he checked in with about 13 minutes left, gave up a, f- a few buckets where he was not where he needed to be and was taken out at the 11 minute mark and did not come back. And I think we all knew the reason he didn't come back, but. It was the same way against Maryland where he didn't play down the stretch despite being so good offensively. And people were like, where's Micah Potter? Why isn't Micah Potter playing? Micah Potter needs to be in the game. Even the TV people were saying that. He needs to be in the game right now. And Greg kind of mentioned it after the game saying he wasn't ready defensively. But he did not expound on exactly why he wasn't ready defensively. And so 
being my dumb self, I went ahead and, and asked him what was the reason for Michael Potter sitting on the sideline or, or sitting out the last 11 minutes. And this, here's the question and here's his answer. I, I don't even know how you would describe it. It was, he, he was, uh, he asked, it ended up him asking me questions. Micah ended up playing like 13 minutes tonight, um, but he came out relatively early in the second half, never came back in, played, mm-hmm. went back to what you kind of did when he, when he wasn't available to you. What was the reason behind that? Did you watch yes, the game? I did. Okay. And, and that's what do you think? His defense was not ideal. Mm-hmm. So, he, yeah, I mean, we, but it's not, he doesn't have the experience that the other guys have. You know, Nate Reavers got baptized as a freshman, and it wasn't fun. We've had other bigs that have been in that situation when they're young, and it's not fun. Frank Kaminsky, Jared Bergeron, you go right down the list. Early in their career, it's really hard to play ball screens, um, especially when you have guys that have little jets behind them like Mac and Burke have. Um, so it's hard. It takes, it takes a lot of reps and a lot of doing it the wrong way and watching it on film and then come back and practice and try to do it the right way. Um, you know, Nate picked it up as fast as anybody, any big we've had here in the 18 years I've been here, but he also got thrown in deep water as a true freshman. And maybe he wasn't ready for that, but he, he figured it out really quick um, through that freshman year and became much better in the ball screen. So Micah, will, he'll, he'll figure it out because he wants to play and he wants to be part of a good team and he wants to help his team. So, um, and it wasn't all him, but the uh, – we had some things there, and again, I went back to a lean because of experience and because we were switching a lot of that stuff anyway, uh, especially with crossing the game as another shooter. I wanted to be more mobile on the perimeter. So, yeah, def- the defensive end is is important. There's a lot of – there's a few non-negotiables um, in that, and we have to make sure we are do what's best for the team on that end of the floor as much as possible. So that was Greg Gard talking about uh – about Michael Potter and why he is still struggling defensively. And I, I asked him afterwards, you know, what exactly is he, what, not on the, uh, not in the press conference, but after he was walking out, I kind of asked him again, you know, what exactly is it about ball screens that he struggles with? And he actually did physical, he like started like doing stuff like he was on the court <laughs> and showing me exactly what the issues were. But is that something that Michael Potter can get fixed this year still or no? Well, let me start by saying that was not a dumb question. I think it was a good question, even if there were obvious answers. It was yeah. good to get Greg on the record to talk about it since it's been an ongoing issue here, especially the last two home games. Is it something he can get fixed? That's really hard to say. Some of this, I think, is kind of ingrained and instinctive, and Micah does a lot of really good things well, but if you're asking him to guard a ball screen against a 6'2 guard who's faster than him, he's probably going to lose that battle more often than not. And I've said this often because Greg says it it all the time about that idea of positionless basketball where someone like Aleem, for example, who can defend on the perimeter and and maybe be better positioned to guard someone who is smaller than him. What you lose, though, is some of that aggressiveness and toughness Micah provides, whether it's an offensive rebound and cleaning up the glass, getting a layup. So it's a give and take because what do you want to lose by taking Micah out of the game? But if you feel like there's a team that is more guard dominant that is completely destroying you in that area... You can't have that liability on the floor. Right. And Greg talked about it afterwards, and he was just saying he didn't get to play against Iowa State. He didn't get to play against in, in the exhibition game. He didn't get to all those opportunities that could have been able to build his, um, his, I guess, his knowledge base of how to do this within a game. None of those things were available because of the 
the trash decision by the NCAA not to make him eligible, and that is impacting them now, and the competition they're facing now is not something where you can experiment. Like, you could experiment with some of these non-conference games. They don't have that ability to experiment right now with, with Micah. They're in a stretch where they need they need to win games. Like they, It's not even about good wins anymore for Wisconsin. It's about just straight-up winning games. It doesn't matter... You don't. I don't think they need any more good wins to be able to make the NCAA tournament. NCAA tournament. They need wins. Uh, that's it. And you can't be in the spot where you're experimenting with uh, a guy like Mike Potter on defense right now because the Big Ten's too good. Another thing I wonder is, you know, Greg's talking about Micah and, and needing to get this experience, and maybe Wisconsin's defensive principles are so drastically different oh, from I'm other sure. teams, but. He played in 59 games for Ohio State. He was a two-year player in a Big Ten program. Yeah. And so, I don't know. Maybe it just is entirely different and it's completely foreign. So, give him the benefit of the doubt there. But I also wonder, is this just sort of part of what Micah Potter's skill set is or what it isn't? Um, obviously, the more opportunity you have in this system to play, the better you'll get at it. But will it get to a level where you feel completely comfortable and think he's the absolute best to be in that spot as an on-ball defender when things get switched, that's harder to say. You heard Greg say in the clip that he wants Michael Potter wants to be a good defensive player. He wants he cares about the game so much and cares about basketball. And, and, and so when he came off the floor, what turned out to be the last time, he looked extremely upset. He seemed I don't even, he may have been yelling at himself. I, I don't know, but either way, he came over and sat down. And Brad Davison went over and put his arm around him and started consoling him and Brad said afterwards that it was just tell him there's a lot of games left there's there's a lot of time left uh not so much even as a teammate but as a friend telling him it's okay calm down we'll be fine and he was angry at himself like this isn't a situation where he's upset at the Badgers for pulling him he's upset because he um isn't doing enough to stay on the floor despite how good he's been in other aspects of the game so we'll see they have a, a couple of uh Tough games coming up, and they're going to need his offense if they're going to want to win these games, but it needs to continue to get better on the other end. All right, time to get into some of our sold or not sold questions. Um, Wisconsin is a good three-point shooting team. They are currently ranked 147th in the country at 34%. I'm not sold because... That's above average, isn't it? it what, 34%? It is, actually. 147 well, there's what 350 plus teams, yeah. so they're if right. Ma- if my math, if if my math is correct, they're so above like a, average. That'd be like a C plus if you were grading them. Hey, C's get degrees, Jesse. I, I can yeah, promise you that. Good, that's a good point. I, can I feel you that. like good is Relic- a, a notch higher than slightly above average. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sold yet simply because of this has to be something that's more consistent. Can they be good? Shoot, they can be great. They just made 18 out of 34 threes against Nebraska in a Big Ten game, but let's do this a few more times and then you can say they are a good team. They've got good shooters, but you have to do it collectively. So that's the thing we've talked about all season. It's the thing we're going to talk about into March. If they can shoot like that, they can beat a lot of teams uh, and create some matchup problems where we've seen previous editions of this team that they were the team that, you know, they were not, they didn't match up favorably like last year against Oregon. I I mean, they they have the skill set to cause problems for teams. They do, and I, I don't like last year. It fell off the face of the earth because I just feel like they were playing. There were too many minutes for the guys that you were expecting to shoot. Uh, Dimitri Trice obviously was playing a ton because you didn't have Trevor Anderson coming in, and, and Brad seemed to get run down as well. 
Um, and so your best three point shooters, at least at the beginning of last year, just weren't great at the end of the end of last season. Um, but now you have those two, along with what you're getting from Brevin, along with what you're getting from like Micah Potter, has been uh, shooting above forty percent. Like he's at forty five, forty six percent. On threes, he's 9 for 17. He doesn't take a bunch of them, but right now he's 53%. Yeah. That's a heck of an addition from a big man. Right. So you have that. Nate has been eh, okay at times. And then we even saw Aleem get a little, you know, uh, knocked down a couple of the other night. So they have a bunch of different guys that can that can knock down shots. Good, I agree with you. Good, to me, would be in the top 100. Like just in terms of college basketball, if they were able to get into the top 100, that's good. Great would be top 50. Amazing would be top 10 like that like where they were at the beginning of last year they were amazing they were an amazing three-point shooting team and they turned into a very poor three-point shooting team yeah they were a top 10 three-point shooting team going into february and then it just fell off a cliff but a season as a a whole a lot of the same guys yeah if on the whole this season the only guy who's approaching 40 percent outside of michael potter who has only taken 17 threes is brevin pritzel 39.7 percent the rest of these guys well they've gotten hot in a game or two 34%, 31%. So it's just hard for me to say that collectively it's a good three-point shooting team at this stage. Slightly above average. Yes. Sold or not sold, Wisconsin's balance offensively is its greatest asset. Uh, The reason I asked the question is Demetri Trice said it was last night. Wow. I think you'd go either way here. I was going to say maybe defensively some of the things that they're able to do. Um, I don't know. They They have not been great defensively of late. No, they weren't certainly against Nebraska. I, I or Michigan State. Michigan State's going to do that to a lot of teams. I That's think fine. I'm just saying. I don't know because we've talked for so long about well, what does it mean if you've got six different guys or seven guys averaging seven or eight points? You maybe don't have an alpha dog, but yeah. it's how it, you view it. It can be a strength. It's just, <laughs> I think you've got to have multiple guys hitting in the same night, like right, which is what they're capable of. This is a hard question to answer because it just depends on the game. But is there a greater like? Is there a greater chance of somebody being hot because you have so many different guys that can be your leading scorer on any specific night? It gives you more options. Like, Think about it from Marquette's point of view. If, if Marcus Howard isn't hot, okay, you have uh, Kobe McEwen, but that's it. Like, if, if they're not good, you're in trouble, and that's kind of, and even if one of them is hot and the other one isn't, you're in trouble, because, and that's kind of what happened against Wisconsin. In Wisconsin's case, for the most part, like if you sh- if Nate Reavers isn't playing well, or if Brad Davison isn't shooting well, well then maybe one of the it hasn't always been this way, but for the most part, other guys can be at their level on a specific specific night. No one's going to be on Marcus Howard's level. For the most part, no one's going to be on Kobe McEwen's level. They just don't have that guys. With Wisconsin, they have a bunch of different guys that could be your leading scorer every night. They just don't have the guy. Okay, I think I'm coming around on this one then, and and I think the best example of the recent games that we've seen that illustrate why Wisconsin has a chance to be special in this way is the Penn State game. Aleem Ford, Nate Reavers, Demetric Trice. Three starters. They combine for six points. They go two for eight from the field. What game is it? The Penn, the Penn State game, the one that Wisconsin won yeah, uh, yeah. on the road. Yep. It was 50, yeah. 58-49, so it yep. wasn't like there was a ton of offense. Obviously, they did enough defensively, but Michael Potter comes off the bench, has a great game, 24 points, but Kobe and Brad both get you double figures in scoring. And I think that is a perfect illustration of what it means to have a full team where you've got six, seven, eight, nine guys, maybe everyone in the rotation capable of scoring in double digits on a given night. So if three of your starters are off, you still have enough horses to win. Uh, so 
This was something that was pretty prevalent after the Maryland game, and I think probably will be going forward. There were guys talking about it last night, but um, sold or not sold, Mike Potter's offensive capabilities should outweigh his defensive liabilities. I think it's a game by game feel, and I oh, that's hard. At Wisconsin, it's, it's well, Wisconsin. as Greg said, it's a non negotiable. Yes. <laughs> so if you've got a liability defensively that another team can consistently take advantage of, you're probably not going to be on the floor, which is what we've seen. On the other hand, man, I want to see what Michael Potter can do when he gets 20 plus minutes. If he does, maybe he gets 25 minutes. He didn't miss a shot from the field last night. He just only took three shots. Yeah. So I want to see it, <laughs> but I, I, I don't think that's what's going to happen. If you've, if this continues, we've seen what happens. I don't think Wisconsin's good enough offensively to be porous on defense. If that makes sense. Like I like I don't think you can even if Mike he's not gonna hit every shot he takes. He's not gonna play less than ideal defense every time he's uh, you know, every time he's on the floor. But I just I just don't think you can I just don't think you can do that with with the, with the way Wisconsin is offensively, where they're not an explosive offense, you have to be able to lock down defensively. That has to be your biggest priority. That has to be exact what what leads you. So to me, I, I don't think they should outweigh his defensive liabilities well offensively i don't in the minutes that he's gotten i don't know that he could be much better considering he's shooting 54 percent from the field and 53 percent on threes and if that's not going to be enough to keep you on the floor then maybe that that's our answer right right but in if nate's playing well on both ends and he did last night it's i think it's easier to keep him on the bench oh for sure right i mean and he's he's not the rim protector that nate is so like that's the other thing like nate can get beat on a on a ball screen but he can make up for it because he's a he's longer and can block shots. Nate, uh, you know, Michael Potter, for the most part, isn't as long in, in getting after guys um, at the rim. So that would be, I mean, that's that's another aspect of it defensively. But, yeah, I, I, I defense has to come first for this team. It just does. Michael Potter is Wisconsin's most important player coming off the bench. Ooh, off sold the or not bench. Sold. Yeah. Wow. Well, there's four options. There are, and they're all good options, I think. For the I most think, part. I think I, it's more of, to me a process of elimination. All right. I, I would I would eliminate mo- Trevor Anderson. So would I. I boy, Tyler Wall has been pretty important, but I, has, I I think he had some freshman moments against Nebraska again. Yeah, it's either Micah or Brevin, and I think I'll go with Micah because yeah. of the stuff we've seen him do. It, Granted, in limited minutes, but it's at times game changing. Yeah, and he's the only he's the only other big. Right. Right. So that's the that's the important aspect of it because Nate's not always going to. Um, well, one, he's going to get in foul trouble because that's just kind of what he had, what it, what it's been for for him. Unfortunately, at times this year, including against Nebraska, picked up two and had to be on the bench. Tyler, his freshman moments, I mean, he had a he got the ball stolen. He he threw an interception. And he got picked off, I guess you'd say, on a on a pass to the left, and then fouled the guy on the way back down because he was obviously out of frustration. He had another one coming off on the offensive glass where he. I tried to uh, knock the ball loose from the guy. Those are some freshman moments that Greg Gard, I'm sure, just frustrates the heck out of him. But and Brev, I mean Brevin's the Brevin is the hottest. Is even as well as Mike is shooting, Brevin's still their best shooter. And I would off the top of my, off the top here, who would you rather have shooting a three pointer, Brevin or, or Micah? Right now, oh Brevin. Okay, yeah, all right. But you're right, Micah brings more to it. And the other thing is. Considering the limited minutes that he's played, he's, he's averaging about 15 minutes a game, and yet he's averaging six rebounds a game. I mean, that that's he's a 90% free throw shooter. He just does so many things well. Even though it's a smaller sample size, it's hard to ignore. 
So did I jinx him by talking about his not miss, having missed free throws? We talked about it last I week. I think I just jinxed him by throwing well, no, out what his percentage was. But I, I said to you last week, I'm like, yeah, so uh, many free throws. Has That's my, right. Has he had not missed. missed. He had not, and then he went and missed. What was he, 16 for 16? So yeah. was he one for three since then? I think it's your fault. I th- hey, someone someone came at me on Twitter, jokingly, of course, uh, asking me if I, I jinxed him. I, I don't know. Maybe I did. Either way, 90% will get it done. It's pretty good. It'll, it'll be okay. A few more questions here. A little over-under. Over-under 18.5 wins for Wisconsin in the regular season. I'm going to go over. Sitting at 12 right now. 12-7. and 5-3 and three in Big Ten play. So they have 12 regular 12 season games, games left. left. So they'd have to you go 7-5. That, that was quick math. I that think was I, pretty good. On my, on my end. They'd have to go 7-5. and five. To get to 18. To get to 19. To get to 19. Yeah. I, I'm sold on it. But, man, it's a really hard schedule. I mean, you start to go down the list and you say, well... Which of these teams will they beat? There are so many toss-ups, many games, though. How many home games do they have left? Well, they got Michigan State at home. That's the next home one after those two road games against Purdue and Iowa. Yep. Ohio State's at home. Yep. Purdue's at home. Three. Rutgers. Four. Minnesota. Five. Northwestern. Six. Six home games. So six, six home games. Win all those and and get a get a win on the road somewhere? I think they'll get more than a, a win on the road somewhere. I just... I think a lot of these games could go either way, but they like, like Friday night point, could be huge. Friday night's yeah, huge for sure. Uh, Purdue lost to uh, Illinois. Did you see the Illinois guy uh, get thrown out for stepping on uh, one of the Purdue players? Essentially, stomping on one of the Purdue players. I did not. I don't want to get too far uh, of an aside, but uh, I saw there was a brawl in the Kansas Kansas State game, goodness, which was yeah. with a chair, unbelievable. With a chair involved, it was straight up. WWE. That would have been, been. I mean, that would have been amazing if that if he had actually bad things set aside. That would have been amazing if he had actually used the chair like that. That would have been just like so crazy to to actually see a guy try and chair somebody at a at a basketball game. My favorite part of that was the guy in the street clothes coming in and and throwing. I thought he was the one that kind of maybe even escalated even further. But uh, yeah, that was that was wild. There's some pictures there of like you see the picture and then. Everyone's reaction in the st- in the stands, just looking through them, they're amazing. Uh, those are some of my favorite crowd shots. Just people like, holy, <clears throat> yeah. And it's uh, yeah. Either way, the Purdue guy, I'm not sure. I think it was Griffin from Illinois, got just just stomped right on the guy, and he got tossed. I imagine he'll be getting suspended. Do you think Wisconsin will go seven five in the last twelve? <sighs> you know, they're I don't know. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Who's and the I know, ultimate hedger now? I, I no, I say, and I don't know if they will because I. There was a great picture last night. Two, I should say, two great pictures that I saw when I was um, looking for a picture for our, for our story on our website, and it was one picture was Greg Gard just with the most pissed off face of a guy of a coach I've ever seen, and then like the picture right next to it is Brevin Pritzel smiling, putting his hands, like, just saying, it's okay, because he had just hit a three-pointer. He's like, it's all right. It's all right. Like, the, like just, that's Wisconsin basketball this year. You know what I mean? Like, it's you're either smiling, uh, everything's great, or great guard, or you're, the, like, I feel like fans, those are the two faces of the fans based on what's happening, based on what game it is. And that, to me, is the up-and-down nature of it. And, and I don't know which one's going to show up on any on any particular night. Uh, angry great guard or... Chill, relax, Brevin Pritzel. I think at this point we've established that Wisconsin is clearly an above-average basketball team and an above-average team in the Big Ten, and that to me leads me to believe that 
they're going to go at least seven and five down the stretch. But that's the thing. There's a lot of above average teams in the sure, Big Ten. There are. So there's a and lot so of so there's a lot out. of toss ups there. That's toss ups right. there. Hundred percent. Right. I mean, Nebraska's supposedly the second worst team in the conference. Right. They gave Wisconsin all they could handle. So and they've done that. I should say they've done that to a lot of teams. Northwestern has done that as well. They almost they almost pulled off. Almost. Well, they played all right for the first uh, <laughs> 35, 34 minutes against uh, Maryland. Like any night, there's just there's no night off, and so I don't know how any, you could be confident they're going to go seven and five. Like I don't I don't know what would give you that confidence. I had to pick one or the other. Okay, uh, so three years of saying Jesse, you can't you can't say I don't know, or you can't hedge and say I'm not sure. They they may or they may not. Is that that's it's led us to this point where you just that's grab exactly down right. Them? That's right. exactly right. I reserve the right to hedge at a later date <laughs> in either sport. I, I I just I'm not confident that they'll get there just because I. Because of the up and down nature of it. The thing is, it won't matter based on their strength of schedule at this point and the wins that they've had. If they've got 18 regular season wins or 19, I think even at 18, they're still going to get into the NCAA tournament. They're not going to do themselves a ton of favors. But you look right now, at least in the, the bracketology, which obviously is irrelevant other than it gives us a talking point, and they're a six seed. And you look at those net rankings, and Wisconsin's sitting there at number 22. And they're a seven-loss team. And there is no other team that has at least seven losses in the top 40. So to me, that says everything about how this team is viewed and the schedule and the wins that they have stacked up. Now, it'll depend on if they go six and six down the stretch, what those six wins are. But I almost feel like, and sort of like the college football playoff committee too, the quality of wins maybe matter more than some of these losses because there's really, unless you lose to Northwestern or Nebraska, there's no bad losses. There really aren't in the Big Ten at this point. No, there aren't. And the losses they had in the non-conference are not bad losses, right? I mean, I, we, we've talked about it. I think we should continue to check in on where... Richmond's Richmond, number 56, so it, that's actually pretty good. We can check Tennessee's in Tennessee's 57. Rich, so Richmond, good. Tennessee, but uh, New Mexico... One bad loss. New Mexico's 108. Yeah, so they are fine. So they finally have a loss against somebody that, that's in that's below 100. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I, I think... I don't know if 18... 18, probably. Unless you... Play a first round game or and lose that against a likely that, that Nebraska could be problematic. or like I can see I can see them death, lose, no. I can see them losing to Nebraska in the Big Ten tournament. It's possible, but eighteen to me at this point because of what this team has done is not automatically a death knell. Where at other seasons you'd say they've got no chance. Fill in the blank. The second best team in the Big Ten is assuming that the first is Michigan State. Is that kind of where we're at? I think I think we can all agree with that. Yeah. Wow. It's a Illinois is in second place. Illinois, Illinois may be legit again. Wisconsin should beat them. There's, there's no doubt about that. Like that's, that's a game that you're going to look back on and be like, should have had that one. Um, maybe the only one. Well, the St. Mary's game. Th- those two games, I look at and be like, those are games they should have won. And you look at the Maryland game. That's the one that they should have lost. So in, in tight games that went against them, they're I guess they're uh, on the positive side of things. But I've got to say Illinois. Or the, the negative side of things. But. I think I've got to say Illinois. They. They lost to Michigan State, but they've won five games in a row. I like Rutgers too. They beat Rutgers and they beat Wisconsin. Yeah, and Rutgers that, at Rutgers at home. So, but that's the thing is all these teams are separated by one or two games, and so if something changes this week, it's a completely different look at the Big Ten. It is. Well, I mean, is is Wisconsin in that conversation as the second best team? I think they could be for sure. I mean, they're one game behind Illinois and should have beaten them. So right, but, but you, as you mentioned earlier on, their three losses in the conference are the three teams that are ahead of them. Right? Yeah, they're in the conversation. There's like 11, six teams in the conversation. Eleven teams. <laughs> 
I mean, I think legitimately there's probably seven teams in that conversation right now. Okay. Right. Half the Big Ten. Yeah. And that includes Indiana, Iowa, Wisconsin, Maryland, Rutgers, Illinois, Michigan State. It could be a lot of fun come tournament time in, in Indianapolis with, oh, yeah. with with these games, like how close everything has been. It's so cliche, but is this the deepest that they've been? Like I, I feel like we say this look, every look, year. Look, right now, I mean, I don't know how many game how many are in the Big Ten or I don't know how many in the tournament right now in terms of bracketology. Is it eleven or twelve? Probably. Like if it's twelve, that's a, that would be a new record. If it ended up being where they would get twelve, that would be a new record for a conference. It's eleven, at least in in ESPNs, Which, and no other team has or no other conference has more than six. Right, so right. there's a valid argument to be made that this very well could be the deepest Big Ten we've ever seen. <laughs> Not to be hyperbole prisoner of the moment, but ten or eleven, you never know. Maybe ten. Right, that could, it could happen. All right, uh, time to get into our Twitter questions. We'll, we'll start with uh, Nuclear Badger, who I feel like would as a scientist, would have a better idea if this is possible or not. Can Wisconsin bottle three-point shooting? I'm not aware of being able to bottle three-point shooting, and I'm also not aware of momentum existing from one game to the next. So I'm. So you're expecting one of 19 performance from uh, from the Badgers next time out? I can't say one of 19. I think the two of 16, was it two of 16? Two of 18. Against Richmond or was yeah. it New Mexico? I feel like that was rock bottom. You think so? Yes. It was close. It was close. Look, they had the last three games combined... They had 18 threes. They got 18 in one night. So, I mean, six threes a game isn't horrible, but to then go and do it in one night after doing it for, you know, needing three games to do it before. The, the, one thing we didn't talk about that was actually pretty significant, and I want to bring it up here because I don't think it's in the Twitter questions, was their passing. On time, on target. A lot of on time, a lot of on target. It's a, it's a thing that Howard Moore always would say and something he brought back with him. And... A lot of on-time and on-target passes led to a lot of open looks and a lot of good... Like, they moved the ball, I thought, in a lot of sequences, better than they had all season. And there wasn't a whole lot of standing around and dribbling, for the most part. At times there was, but yeah. for the most part. And that's just going to be a Wisconsin thing. I mean, that's that that may be just be their MO at times. But their on-time, on-target passes were up there. 23 assists on 29 baskets. That's 79% of their uh, baskets made on assists. That's the highest percentage this season. So it's pretty darn good. Yeah. One thing I do think that is worthwhile to monitor is maybe momentum isn't real, but confidence is from oh, yeah, these for players. Sure. You, Brad hits four threes, Dimitri hits three, Brevin hits four, Aleem hits two, and we know Aleem has had some shooting struggles of late. And so I think that's something that can potentially carry over is that you see it goes in the hoop and you got another game three nights later. Maybe that makes a difference. Yeah. TM Fitzpatrick asks, uh, uh, has this team finally figured out or is this just another home court domination? I don't have an answer for that one. But could could this be a first round tournament exit or an elite eight team, which are, would be more likely? Oh man, more likely I'd say a first round exit of the two. But I, I this team can get to the second weekend absolutely. But when you get to the elite eight, you're talking about you've beaten. If we think they're going to be a six seed, a seven or an eight seed, somewhere in that area, then you're talking about that second round game. You're beating a three seed, a two seed, maybe even a one seed right. if you're an eight, and that's. That's really difficult. So it, that's why seeding matters so much, I think, at this point. Right. I mean, two, three years ago, when they ended up being an eight seed and having, to play, Villanova. And having to play Villanova in the second round, that's the thing about this tournament. That's the thing about, I think, college basketball this year. There is no great team. There's no fantastic, like, off-the-charts great team that you would see in the, in, the, in the second round if you're an eight seed. Like, I could, 
I could see a, an 8-1 upset more or a 9-1 upset, whatever it is, in that second round more so than in, maybe in previous years because there's just no team that you sit there and say, no, nah, that, that team's unbeatable. Though there are still some undefeated teams. I think there's only one. Is it San Diego San State? San Diego State. Like, but there's there's nothing great about any of these teams that you could just say, nope, Wisconsin doesn't have a chance, or whoever it is doesn't have a chance in an 8-1 or a 9-1 game. Yeah, I'm certainly not going to count Wisconsin out from being a second weekend team, especially if this team is able to shoot. But since you're asking me to pick between does this team win three games in the NCAA tournament or does it flame out in the first game, well, we saw what happened last year. We did. But again, that's, and that's the thing about playing on a 12 seed that was hot at the end of the regular season, and now we see how good Oregon is still right now, um, though I think they've kind of hit a little bit of a rough, rough patch. Um, what are they? In what the, the, in the, the, the bracketology, in the net, yeah, well, no, in the net rankings, where where is Oregon? Well, there are there are four seed projected in the in bracketology there, but they're seventeen in the net rankings and and fifteen and four. Yeah, that, that's a good team. Um, and Peyton Pritchard has been there forever, or so it feels like. Jeff asks three of the next four on the road with MSU being the home game, over under one and a half wins in that stretch. Oh, I'll take the over. I think they go at least two and two. Hey, we got it right last week. We, we said they would beat Maryland. Yeah. We didn't say how it would happen. No. And we said, we they, said they had Michigan no State. chance against Michigan State. It was proven, that was correct. Proven accurate. <laughs> I don't know that they're going to beat Michigan State at home. It would be a big time win oh, yeah. if they can do that. I think they certainly can. They obviously play better at home. But Purdue and Iowa, to me, are and Minnesota are all sort of toss-ups. Yeah, they're all on the road. So Wisconsin's at a disadvantage. But you can beat anyone. You can lose to anyone. Yeah. Just, just look at these teams' records and, and who they've lost to. And I also think how bad they were on the road beginning of the year, they've kind of righted the ship there. Obviously, Michigan State's just a different beast, but for the most, they, they've kind of right, righted the ship in that respect. Uh, Megan asks, in the spirit of the close victories, like the one over Maryland, if this team ends up in a close end-of-game situation come March, who do they want taking the final shot? Well, they wanted Brad Davison taking the final shot against Maryland, so I think I'll go with him. I mean... If Dimitri's in the game, he's going to have the ball to try and break somebody down. And as we saw, if you go under a ball screen and he goes to his right, he's probably going to pull up if he's got some space. That can be a good shot, but I guess I'd pick Brad. At this point, yeah, I think so too. Did you think Maryland defended that very well, though? Like, I thought the guy, <clears throat> his ability to go over screens was, was, not, uh, was not great. Well, like, I, I have the, to say the, the effort, answer the, is no because effort, he got a clean right, look. Right. <laughs> the effort was, I didn't think the effort was there going around those screens just because it's the end of the game situation. And he was also the guy who got the guy got the ball knocked off of him. I think there's plenty of blame to go around on Maryland's part there down the stretch, but Wisconsin won that game for sure. Bacon asks, who is the real Aleem Ford? <laughs> Both with the Aleem, with, with the real Aleem Ford, please stand up. He's kind of both. He's, I mean, I don't, I don't know. He didn't score against Maryland and Michigan state. And he had eight points against Nebraska and I think he has. He's, there, he's gone through some really tough stretches here. He has. He has. I still. Th- he's again. He's proven he can be a good three point shooter. Though at this point, that's now looking back at his freshman season as right. the last time maybe that was the case. Because he was a uh, under thirty last year, and he's under thirty now. He's at thirty one point three percent, but not not. He's under thirty last. He was, was he about forty one percent as a freshman, which was one of the best three point shooting seasons by a freshman in school history. Right. So, uh, Paul's Bunyan. I see what you did there. Says, uh, if they go 500 the rest of the way, 
six and six. Does that make them an NCAA tournament team? We kind of already talked about this, but he he says he's he's putting words in your mouth here. He says Jesse will probably say not enough info for which games are which, so we'll say not no impressive wins plus no bad losses. What does this guy think? I'm a hedger. <laughs> I already said I think if they're eighteen and I just thirteen, to, I just wanted to use the tweet. I think if they're eighteen and thirteen that they're in based on what's happened so far. But if you lose your first game in the Big Ten tournament and you're eighteen and fourteen, eh? Yeah. But if you're eighteen thirteen, you win one. You're 19 and 14. I think that's enough. Yeah. Uh, And and we'll finish with this one. Matt asks, uh, what can be done to improve a dead atmosphere at the Kohl Center? They've tried everything. They've tried a lot, I should say. Hey, they should try a DJ. (laughs) They have a new DJ. I know. Do you see that? Yeah. Uh, I like the DJ. What's up? I like the DJ system they got going on there. They should have Red Panda just come in every game and and perform while the game is going on. Yeah. During the TV timeouts or just like when the team gets it back into across half court, Red Panda's on the other end? Or no. When they're on defense, she's performing on the other end and doing mm-hmm. and doing the five doing the five bowls every single time. That might be it. I don't know. I've always so the first season I covered this team was the 2011, 2012, and I've felt this way since that time. There are really, in my mind, there are a select few games every year where it's an absolutely electric atmosphere and it rivals any place in the country. And outside of that, it's a big venue with a fair amount of fans, and it's cool. But it would be hard for me to say it's kind of an elite level atmosphere and experience. Yeah, and I feel, maybe that doesn't sound fair, but that's how I've always thought of it. No, th- there's no doubt about that. I've all I've always felt felt that way. Even as even as good as they were for so long there, and they still are. But like under Bo Ryan, just the ridiculous numbers of how good they were at home. It was only certain games that it would get it loud. Uh, when the students aren't there, it it gets really bad. It wasn't great la- against Nebraska. The students were back, and it wasn't great against Nebraska. It's just, look, I said this a couple weeks ago. That I think there is some apathy towards it just because of how good they were, and people still think about that 14-15 year, and like, if they're not that good, then it's hard for people to really be excited about the team, and and they, they've just set the bar so high that it's hard to reach that, and they don't necessarily have a ton of excitement and exciting guys on that team. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I I think there's still a few games left where you're going to get that atmosphere. Oh, I Michigan think State, that Michigan State Michigan's game is going to be lit. It's going to be wild. I said lit. I'm that's okay. You're allowed to. I'm not. Uh, I am not allowed to say it. The Michigan State game is going to be a really really good atmosphere, and I you know they're calling for the stripe out. Ohio State. It's a noon game on a Sunday. Yeah, that has a chance to be good. Right. There there's just a handful a year yeah. that they come to mind. Yeah. And it, like the Maryland game, that was a top. What they were number seventeen, I think, at the time, and it was pretty dead for much of the game. But then that last stretch, it got loud, and even Greg said afterwards that he thanked the fans for their energy there at the end. But for the most part, it's not going to be that way, and it's just it's it's been that way for a long time. I will say this: it's been noticeably poor this year, maybe than, than in past years. You get a lot of people at the games. I mean, they're consistently among they do the national leaders. They've got a large venue, but they have good fans, good fans, but also fans that have been spoiled to the point where it's not always exciting and it's not always energizing and it's not always uh, get out your seat type of basketball. Well, the next home game that they have will be one of those. It will be. Yes, definitely will be. Uh, we'll see if uh, they can win uh, on the road the next two times and uh, we'll talk about that uh, next week and look ahead to the Michigan State game. Jesse, thank you. Thanks, Zach. You've been listening to The Swing on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.